0: Hello, Vixies, Vixens, all ye who listen, and especially hello to all those who actually realize Jesse and I kind (laughs) of fell off the face of the earth for a month or two and a half fish.
1: So um,
0: (laughs) life life happens fast, we all know that, and um, I'm sure it's been crazy out there in the Insane clown world we're all living in um, for the rest of you. Because if we were feeling it, we realized we needed to step back and try to take control of our own lives and uh, what monstrous uh, roller coaster things were um, tearing in each of us for the past few months. You know, I'm sure others can
2: relate as well. So, um, Jesse, hi. Uh, good to be hi. back. Yeah. Uh, it's been, well, I just got back from Florida. So it's, we've been busy.
0: Florida's still land of the free, um, but I guess it's t- not, never been that dramatic for you since you're in Tennessee. Yeah. It's it's nice there, though. Yeah. Very 2019-ish.
2: Yeah. Everybody's, you know, nobody is, I haven't seen anybody in masks, though, for a long time. Not even, Ugh. you know, especially being here in Tennessee. Everybody's pretty much over it.
0: Yeah, I wish I could say the same here in Maryland. Yeah. Um, well, everybody listening, we've got a guest on with us today. Another uh, gem we found from Twitter, and we I roped him in uh, a while ago <laughs> to get on with us um, when it made sense for both of us. So I would like to introduce our audience to Remnant MD, Doctor. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So um, I like that you consider yourself an expat of academia, and so at Jesse and I if like we were to put a label on our podcast and its category and our political views, you know, we're both in the sort of like anarchist voluntarist um, camp and basically like get the hell out of this crazy um, setup that we have. Mm -hmm. But um, so expat is a, uh, is a commonly heard term, I think in our circles, but, so that's why I appreciate it all the more uh, seeing it in your, in your Twitter bio and uh, being from expat from academia so um do, uh feel free to i'd love to have you introduce yourself and um i want to know more about you personally and then uh our audience will too
1: okay um yeah the expat from academia thing that was one of those you know when you create a twitter bio you're trying to make it as succinct and uh i don't know, kind of encapsulating what it is that you're trying to do so i figured expat from academia was uh relevant because i spent quite a lot of time in it um all the way from you know the beginning of my medical career to where i am now um and i had done a lot of you know i was always uh i was always academic minded mostly because i really like to teach but also because i actually do enjoy the research side of uh the research side of medicine um but as you both probably know the more time you spend in it, the less rewarding it seems to be. Um, And you keep thinking, oh, well, you know, one day when I you know, have a project that's entirely under my purview or if I'm working on a subject that I'm really interested in and it's not for my, you know, principal investigator or the department or what have you, there's always the, uh, you know, next time it'll be more fun. Next time it'll be more enjoyable. Um, Next
0: time I'll be more free.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, eventually, you know, you slowly start to realize that uh, the way that the world has changed since the advent of the internet and continues to change during this decade, you don't really need the university to do either of those things anymore. Yeah. To do your own research or to teach people, because, as I mean, as, as this. What I would modestly refer to as the success of this account i've created kind of out of thin air without any of my background or credentials being used to support it in any way people are hungry for um, not just information people are hungry for like synthesis and analysis of information that would otherwise seem disparate or maybe they wouldn't have the experience or the knowledge or the resource to kind of bring them together mm-hmm. so that's kind of what this experiment was you know like i figured why not try to make the internet my playground my lab my classroom um and i actually really enjoy doing uh review type research instead of like i, I you know i've done lab work i've done clinical work but i find that there isn't really a need for new information there's more of a need for For synthesizing and analyzing already generated data and information. So that even more was uh, was motivation to just ditch the academic platform, so to speak. And I actually like ever since I started writing online, I haven't done a single piece of research in my academic or hospital life, which I don't miss it. This is way more enjoyable. People are, you know, more people read my, more people read my Substack slash Ghost Now newsletter than have ever read all of my research articles combined. <laughs> wow. and the amount of feedback that you get is just, it's not comparable, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, it's true. And, you know, for better and for worse, academia is a bubble and you're right. Like the exposure you've already, like you said, uh, witnessed and experienced here, uh, playing on the internet, <laughs> your little experiment, as you called it. Um, you're reaching so many more people touching their lives and something else you t- you said that, um, really caught my attention. And, and it's even something that I've caught myself saying, um, before that I'm also, you know, ready to completely bail on, um, academia, um, the university system we see it kind of decaying and collapsing in front of us and Mm. it's only a matter of time like before it really visibly does i think but people like you people anybody who's kind of like worth actually maybe going to a university to learn from or learn with or learn under you're fleeing because it's not no longer a place that um somebody like you would want to would want to stay and, and teach those people because I don't know, it, like you kind of wouldn't get um, freedom and no security. And I mean, like, I think I'm thinking about things that happened to Jordan Peterson um, from his employers and others. I can't remember all their names right now, but of course we all know, like they're all in the same sort of corners on the internet that um, we pass around information to. But so in my mind, though, you think and people say, including myself, like, Well, the only reason you might go to university still is to, one, become a doctor, become a lawyer, maybe an engineer. But Mm -hmm. even those trades and fields, it's like, well, what's the point of going to university to become any of these things if they're all corrupt there? And what kind of doctor, lawyer, engineer, person, professional is coming out of those institutions if they are garbage?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's... It's very true. And you know that's not to say that there aren't good professors or physicians in academic centers. You know i'm I'm still at an academic center, unfortunately, <laughs> but there's there are a lot of brilliant people. Um, the problem is the environment is such that they can't even be their brilliant selves. So they either leave. Or they stay and Enter a, themselves they cause trouble, like I have. Or B, they shut their mouth and just yeah. go with the flow. In which case, they're no longer the value to a student that they otherwise right. would have been, which is really unfortunate. Because you know, depending on the person's personality, depending on how old they are, depending on their technological wherewithal, they might not see an alternative. They mm-hmm. might not see that the internet is this place that you and I have decided to, you know take our platform onto. And that's really unfortunate, you know, because as much as I harp on the negativity of academia and university, there are some really brilliant people there. And I really wish that uh, they were more liberated.
0: So. Mm -hmm. Don't we all?
2: (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit like what your area of study is and what you practice?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm a radiologist. I'm a neuro-radiologist. Wow. I mostly look at brains and spines mm-hmm. all day, um, but I still also really enjoy general radiology, um, mostly because I like high-acuity types of settings. Mm-hmm. Those are the things where I feel like all those years of uh, study, they kind of like pay off with an immediate you know, feedback loop. Someone comes in with something emergent, you help the caring physician figure out what's going on and then Hopefully, the follow-up imaging is positive and not uh, not a train wreck, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so that's what I do my day job. Um, and my background, I guess, broadly speaking, in undergrad, I studied neuroscience and psychology um, shortly after I went to medical school. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I also have a... I'm a Canadian in the U.S., so I have a little bit of a different upbringing, both within the healthcare infrastructure of Canada and the academic infrastructure of Canada, mm-hmm. which you may think is very similar in some respects, because academic centers in North America are academic centers, but there are actually quite a few differences that um, I guess primed me to have a reaction to the American healthcare system that may have otherwise not been obvious to Americans, I should say. Um, just because That's of how really interesting yeah just because of how differently our institutions are run like for example in mm-hmm. canada almost every single medical school well first of all there's not that many medical schools there's like 10 uh for 30 odd million people and a whole bunch of foreigners that also apply because medical school and education in general is cheaper in canada than is in the u.s mm-hmm. um then every single um major hospital that you might want to train in or work, almost all of them have university affiliations. So pretty much all physicians in a major uh, Canadian city are faculty in some way or another with the local university. Mm
2: -hmm. So there isn't
1: that split as there is in the US where you have private practice groups and people Mm -hmm. who work in academic centers. It's more like There are private practice groups for certain specialties, radiology being one of them, actually. But most people are in an academic center. And as a result, getting those kinds of positions is highly competitive. And usually some aspect of your research plays a tremendous role in your likelihood of landing a job in Canada because they Mm -hmm. need grant money. So Mm. you also end up with a lot of positions that are very strong in the, the type and extent of research that they do. Um, sometimes to the detriment of their care for patients but oftentimes they balance that really well uh i have yet to work in an environment where i felt like i was so outclassed as i have in a major canadian hospital they're just you know they import the greatest talent from around the world everywhere from south africa to france to east asia it's incredible to see in some of these major centers. So that's uh, one of the major differences um, between the US academic centers and the Canadian academic centers, which I don't know for better or for worse, they have their ups and downs, you know, the Canadian ones are super cutthroat, but the US ones, they tend to not have the same average caliber of academic physician, let's say.
2: No, I think a lot of the physicians in America are, they just wanna practice, they don't wanna research, Hmm. which I think that really shows that explains a lot of what happened over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Because when you don't do your own research, when you don't read up on things and keep Mm -hmm. up with the latest data, you're just going to be doing exactly what you're told to do. And that's what we saw.
1: That's very true. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. The, um, what is it? Standard operating um, procedures or the um, standard of care, which is Mm -hmm. supposed to kind of, protect them. And it, and it makes uh, a lay person feel good. Like, okay, well, it's, you know, the standard of care, it has to be good. And really it's, um, I mean, I think there were some very murderous policies as we, as Jesse and I have railed against for two years, Um, very uh, murderous policies that were enacted from our sort of like government agencies. And then the very bureaucratic um, healthcare system that we do have, like, People here, um, I think like it should be clearer than ever that our <laughs> healthcare system in America isn't quote unquote free market. There's really nothing free market about it. And there might be little free market-ish enclaves, but that's yeah. not kind of what people are talking about. And that's not really like what we're hearing about or where people where most people, the vast majority of people are going to. People that are going to maybe more like free market and um very private and individualized healthcare systems. Those are probably the ones that actually got very personal care and, you know, might've had doctors that suggested early treatment for the COOF and instead of, you know, just go home. And, um, when your lips turn blue, it's time to go to the hospital and, and, uh, we'll pray for you, uh, thoughts and prayers and and ventilators. Um, they're good then, but yeah, I think it's been a real wake up call for anybody not in the medical profession. Um, but And I'm just kind of like on the outside of it because I work with a ton of doctors, but I definitely don't work in the healthcare system itself. And so I kind of just hear about it from a peripheral uh, standpoint, but um, Jesse is a nurse and I think, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like this is a interesting point and I'd love to hear. So I like, I'll, I know Jesse's been struggling with some uh, stuff at work with like, oh God, COVID's going around again. And, you know, everybody's got it but everybody who has it um was jabbed and probably actually Jesse how many people how many of those people judged you for not getting it
2: (laughs) well I I don't know I don't know how many people really judged me for it but I know that um my boss she's got COVID right now and she's one of the ones that really pushed me to to get the vaccine and I just didn't and now she's out sick with COVID and there's another, uh, there's a few other nurses that I work with that are about to finish their quarantine, but they all got sick and, you know, jabbed. So I just find that to be interesting that, and I know that I'm not the only nurse and I know I'm not the only person who's noticed that, you know, all these healthcare facilities, all of a sudden these people who were preaching at everybody to get jabbed and um, be up to date, get boosted, they're all sick now or they're about, you know, they've already been sick. You know, it just seems like and people like you
0: doing extra coverage.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've been working extra because we've been short. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It is incredible that, um, it's so weird. Cause early you know, early in my education, one of the things that we learned in, you know, intro microbiology is that, uh, coronaviruses and the causes for common colds, there's no getting away from them. There's no vaccinating against them. There's no time to develop some active treatment for them. They're just too elusive. Um, But now suddenly A, we forgot that uh, coronaviruses are ubiquitous, and B, we also forgot that vaccines don't really work for them, or anything really works for them, Mm -hmm. other than supportive care. So now, it seems like we've gone through phases of amnesia. You know, The first phase was the basics mm-hmm. of vaccinations. The second phase was the basics of human rights. The third phase is oh yeah, we forgot we can't vaccinate against coronaviruses. and now everyone that's like triple quadruple boost oh no I tested positive and yeah throat oh they're and they're SRI. pissed
2: they're mad that they got sick because they were told this was gonna work so
1: yeah and, and I I wonder how your situation was but in my situation or in places that I've worked in the last two years it's not really an option. So how did it, I'm curious, how did it pan out? You said you were in Tennessee?
2: Yeah, I'm, I I think being in Tennessee is the reason um, that's kind of saved me because <laughs> I know our governor basically refused to, you know, mandate it as a state. There were some, now there are some hospitals here. I don't really, I don't work in a hospital. I work in psych and I work at a, um, you know, a residential facility. So mm-hmm. it's a little less Mm-hmm. you know, uh, high risk. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there are some hospitals around here that have mandated their their nurses to get it. And I know a lot of nurses that either quit or were forced to quit or were forced to get the job and they didn't want it. And so they're mad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, like I just kept refusing up until like, you know, the date the deadline. And I just kept refusing up until the deadline until finally, um, they just, HR just handed me a sheet of paper and they're like, can you just fill this, just fill out this declination form for us. And then we're good. Wow. And I think a lot of it, a lot of it is because we're so short staffed Mm -hmm. that, and, and I, and I found out later that, you know, not just in nursing, but throughout the whole, um, Company, a lot of people refused. So they realized that if they made us do this, they were going to lose like more than half of their staff, like complete oh. staff. So Tennessee's, we're not, we don't like to be told what to do. So it's just that's yeah. on, in our blood.
1: That's great. You yeah. Know, my wife and I were looking for a place to move after uh I'm going to be working for about a year in my current location more. And uh, we're looking for a place to move in the US. And Tennessee is definitely up there now. Seems yeah. higher up there after this brief conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Florida has been up there for quite some time. Um, Texas, I don't know. Texas seems nice and everything, but I don't feel like I've seen as much resistance from um, yeah. health departments and the government in Texas as I've seen with Florida, for example. You know, yeah. DeSantis and what's his name, Ladapo They've really been on the ball about this whole thing, so it gives me some confidence, making that a major consideration for. Mm -hmm. our next move and now i mean i
2: legit held out till the end nothing and i remember like maddie will tell you like i was anxious for a bit there i I didn't want to lose my job i didn't want to do any of that stuff but i was i did seriously consider you know getting it and then like finding out ways to like get it out of me and i was like we we talked about all that (laughs) like i was i bought like a snake venom kit and a bee sting kit i was like if i have to i will do something to get this out of me yeah
0: yeah yeah. we (laughs) talked about fake (laughs) arms like would anybody notice if it wasn't my arm
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know a very similar thing happened uh Cause we had the first you know the base vaccination mandate and then we had a booster mandate and um mm-hmm. as one of the department chiefs we were getting a lot of emails from from the uh hr side of things <clears throat> kept insisting that we pressure our staff and trainees to comply mm-hmm. with the booster mandate um and a lot of them and i think i wrote a bit about this a lot of them didn't want it particularly the the women they felt yeah. like yeah they want to have
2: children they don't yeah and then done with their no, lady no need for messed up. Russian roulette with a yeah. In-
1: yeah, genetic exactly. injection and, you know totally yes that's absolutely a legitimate reason but they almost felt like hesitant to state that that was their reason or whatever mm-hmm. their reason was they just wanted to go with the base argument that you know bodily autonomy my body my choice and I was like yeah exactly and then I got Close to the deadline, it was like four days before the deadline, I got another email. And at this point, they were getting really desperate. Mm. So they sent us an entire list of every single trainee who was still delinquent on the requirement. And it was half the trainees in the entire academic center. And at, at that point, I just turned to some of my colleagues. I said, look, first of all, major HIPAA breach. Second of mm. all, you yeah. are yeah. not going to fire half the trainees. There's no way that's going to happen. You just have to hold out. And almost all of them, they just coward they got mm. it some of them got it friday which was the last day in the morning and then that afternoon they released the statement that they had rescinded the mandate yeah. yeah
0: that's what kills me for and you know i haven't been put into into a situation and i and i was having the same kind of anxiety like again i'm not in the medical field but i work with it and just because the mindset of a lot of my colleagues, uh, especially the academic doctors, um, uh, like the mindset that they had and like things I heard them all say and would promote. And even in, um, consulting calls with some of our clients, we were, I was, I was witnessing, I was like, Oh my God, like this really could happen to me. And so I had anxiety through the roof, but I decided like over a year ago now, I was like, if they, if they tell me, I'm, I'll walk away. Like they need me more than I need them.
2: yeah And
0: a lot of people are probably in that situation, whether they realize it or not. And so I know like we're here, here we are talking about probably like, is it booster number two that they're, um, it's yeah. probably booster number three that they just mandated for most. But I mean, like that just means it's only a matter of time for booster number two um and shot number four. For people, and so when people have to draw their own line,
1: the whatever it is,
0: draw it on. Yeah, it's
1: the fourth.
2: <laughs> I just don't even know how. I was people Thinking feel.
1: about it, it's just so laughable. I can't, you know. I know. It's just it's the fourth <laughs> shot of the same formulation that was formulated what, for the like, original nineteen.
2: Yeah, <gasps> yeah. I mean, we don't even do that with the flu
1: shot. That. Like, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the laziest shot making ever, but. Our governments are paying these pharmaceutical companies to keep making them, despite millions of them being thrown away. Like, mm-hmm. it, and I remember, and actually, so this is still maybe a little bit conspiratorial um, from my standpoint. And we dabble with those from time to time, but it's worth talking about them. So I remember when, I guess it was a, ba- it was a little earlier than this last time um, last year when like the initial drive to get the first one and two had dropped off like if you hadn't gotten it by then you probably you weren't getting it by choice like if you had waited you were waiting and so Mm. then um and then I remember it being in the news like that the that oh my god all these shots were going to expire and um but then we kind of never heard about that And then all of a sudden, if like a month or two later, it was time to start, you know, boosting the immunocompromised and at-risk community. And I was like, are those just the ones that they said that they were going to throw away because they were expiring? And I feel like I've never gotten really clear answers on that. But all in all, it's like they keep pushing this old, outdated product that, like Jesse said, like, no, we would never think doctors or scientists, like, pharmaceutical companies wouldn't do that for the flu
2: yeah
1: well they they sort of do it for the flu right because the flu shot is already outdated isn't it true yeah, yeah. well maybe based it it's off based of... on the dominant yeah it's from the prior season yeah it's what like, like yeah. based off
2: of australia's flu and by the point by the time we get it it's already hmm. changed but hmm. i mean this is a like drastically old <laughs> yeah, yeah i just think like yeah i like we do better with the flu than we've done with the with COVID. And I mean I just like everything about it, I'm like, if you just think at all, like <laughs> it all seems ridiculous. It's it's mm-hmm. uh it's absurd.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of absurdities and that many layers of all mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, you mentioned conspiratorial yeah, that was, I think it was Catherine Austin Fitz that was listening to and she made a very good point. She made the point that, you know, we we need to stop qualifying statements as if they are or are not conspiratorial. Because, okay. <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, what is a conspiracy? It's a few people that have a objective and they cooperate for mm-hmm. that objective. And her point is, there are conspiracies everywhere and you should start one. And if you don't have a conspiracy that you've started, then you're probably upon in someone else's conspiracy. So just find some people with like mind, common goals and figure out how the hell you're going to reach that goal and that's it that's a conspiracy and fundamentally that is what a conspiracy is
0: it really is and then
1: coordinated effort and you know companies are conspiracies they collaborate to further their company and their product or service or their goals we believe companies are real Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, you know unofficial unlisted companies do those exist is
0: this just my um Government-hating self, and remembering it this way, but isn't it like a an old CIA tactic to have uh, sort of placed this taboo on the word conspiracy or conspiracy theorists? It's like they yeah. are the conspirators, like. Nobody's conspiring more than like those people except maybe the World Economic Forum and others that are higher that don't even have names that we know of. But they all work in some sick, demented way and fashion. But they're allowed to be conspirators, but we're not. And, uh, you know, Jesse and I here on our little podcast that's supposed to be uh, speaking about freedom and individual liberties and personal responsibility and you know, making yourself better, your life better, your community better um, from the ground up, like, oh, God, like, we're really, uh, we're demonic.
1: <laughs> yeah. I oh, because we're... Yeah, like, every single criminal investigation starts out as a conspiracy theory. Um, conspiring mm. to commit a crime is a crime in itself. Mm. So the idea that this doesn't occur at a certain strata of society, but it does in every other stratum, doesn't, I don't know. It's such a weak such a weak, uh, deflection. Whenever <laughs> yeah. people say it, I just roll my eyes, but like, oh man, mm-hmm. back to American Idol.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> back to sleep. Um, so I guess since I want to, I want to pick your brain, um, since you're in the medical field too, and, and currently still. So I know that everybody listening, you know, we're all fairly aware and have been aware that one of the, um, least most common or maybe most visible and most talked about side effects um, of these jabs is like heart related um, issues, Um, cardiomyopathy, um, myocarditis, pericarditis, um, and maybe like blood clotting. Well, people, you know, just are associating um, hot weather with blood clotting these days and that's just supposed to pass. Mm. But I'm wondering um, with you as a neuroradiologist, have you started seeing anything in your practice that like seems like a signal of some sort um because i know that's like what uh, you know some other some earlier dissenting experts were warning a long time ago like just the neurologic issues that we're gonna um yeah. develop over time and maybe not be something um, that's immediately visible or noticeable but would be something to be on the watch a lookout for over time so i just wanted to um hear from you
1: yeah so this is a really complex issue because if it wasn't for the fact that everyone got it almost everyone at least in certain geographies it's effectively everyone if it wasn't for the fact that at the same time these things were offered everyone's life was disrupted in very detrimental ways mm-hmm. we might be able to come up with a clear answer but it's hard to tease out because mm-hmm. the cardiovascular insults the strokes these are inherently, um, they share an etiology, right? And the etiology is metabolic health, atherosclerotic risk factors, et cetera, et cetera. So if you give someone an injection that might increase their risk of an outcome, but then at the same time, you tell them to stay at home, order out, not work out, live a sedentary life, mm-hmm. how would you ever determine what caused what at least on a population level individually you know there have been cases where pathologists and others have tried to get you know tissue samples of either the clots or the heart after the person's died or their aorta or whatever vessel it is and they stain it to see if it's um, mm-hmm. if it's positive for either spike protein or antibodies directly against mm. spike protein and in those cases you can have a relatively definitive contributing cause but unless you do that at a population scale I don't know how you can ascertain with any certainty what it is that the rise in cardiovascular you know deaths or poor outcomes or disability is due to um I don't know see this is where we go back back into the conspiratorial thing mm-hmm. I don't know if it's intentional to mask effects I doubt it because I fundamentally believe that most of everything that's going on right now is economically driven. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's mostly economically driven. I don't know that there's necessarily a specifically and singularly sinister, uh, motivation, except for the fact that it's probably almost all of it related to finance and money. Even this like, you know, travel testing or testing to do this, testing to do that. It's like you just subsidized a test that the government is getting billed for, how, you know, depending on the test, upwards of 100 plus per mm-hmm. test. And who's paying for that? You know, it, it seems like every policy that's been implemented is related to economics. So anyway, back to the question. Um, it's re- Yeah, it's really hard to to differentiate i think the one thing that will allow us to get a signal from the noise is to keep the focus on people who are specimens of human health mm-hmm. i.e the athletes that have been
2: yeah. you know, suffering
1: from chest pain or mm-hmm. stroke and cardiac death or PEs or whatever it is that they're yeah. having um that is not explained by policies that have locked people down and made them unhealthier like not even close
2: i will say uh,
1: it's not explained by the psychological effects of people not going to work or not going yeah. to school it's not explained by any of those other factors so i think that will shed more light than population level data because the population level data is just too messy yeah for that makes sense reasons, and from since the very beginning not just for this vaccination stuff even for what the hell is COVID and what is it causing it's like okay it causes everything yeah. under the sun because the PCR yep. test one positive all right so how the hell are we going to differentiate that from everything else under the sun
0: mm-hmm the data has been messy um, from the get-go. Yeah,
1: and I wonder if that part of it is intentional because I
0: think they keep, it is. <laughs> you know, shifting,
1: you know, categorizations. They keep moving yeah. goalposts, and if it isn't to confuse people and to confuse, you know, like you, you just redefine a category, and suddenly the data set you had prior to that change is no longer compatible with the data that comes after that change. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? You know. <laughs> I can't imagine that there's anything justifiably, you know, scientific about shifting categorization mid-observation and then thinking that your data would be compatible at the end of it all. It doesn't make any sense.
0: No, and I mean, you're the scientist, right? Like, that's wrong. That's against everything that you were taught as a doctor, as a researcher and like, yeah even 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 us you know more lay people and if we were ever taught the kind of like logic and reason and sort of like trying to see from one end to the other and like how we got there mm-hmm. yeah, i it's,
1: think it's
2: wasn't there was a that, there was you know, a hospital
1: in louisiana we can't glean information which is what it is yeah. we're trying to figure out so that we can stop with these mandates and stop with these stupid rules but <laughs> you yeah, know we've been painted into a corner mm, yeah
2: and I think that it, like, I know that there's like a hospital, there was an article like a year ago about a hospital in Louisiana and how they were um, documenting deaths. And um, they were, they weren't even keeping track of people who were vaccinated and dying of COVID. So we couldn't look at, you know, the level of people who were unvaccinated versus vaccinated. Like they did not want to keep that data. And then, of course, they said if you're, like, if you only had one vaccine, you're not fully vaccinated, so you'd be in the unvaccinated category. So, it was just kind of, they just played with everything. Word games and manipulation.
0: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, the amount of that that I've seen, I've kind of, like, I've lost the motivation to keep track.
2: It's <laughs> hard, because it's just hard. Just too much.
1: Yeah. It diverges, and it's a mess, and I tremendous credit to the people that are continuing to try to make sense of this. But now when I read their thoughts or their analysis, I just think, okay, well, that's at minimum on shaky ground because of the things that we just discussed and how things have Mm. changed. It's just, it's hard to believe that it's not intentional, you know?
2: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, It's interesting to hear your perspective and your thought that it's all economic driven and, that's probably true and obvious, like, when I sit and think about it a little bit, because it ultimately is about, like, control, and that's how they're organizing or trying to reorganize the world in a financially controllable population, all of us. And, you know, with, um, what's the abbreviation, like, ESG and mm-hmm. our, our social credit scores and mm-hmm stuff that's probably around the corner that I don't want to think about because I have to get through my day. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I mean, it's all, this is, this kind of um, psyop, like it took on a health related and medical form, but it ultimately was to corral us, to control us, to track us for, I think technology to uh, sort of improve on that, on the side. Um, like think about uh, the iPhone updates that now are able to read through your face mask. Um
1: was
0: that uh, I think so, yeah. Oh, goodness. I mean, uh, you know, security cameras elsewhere, I think um, have now become able to see through your mask. So um, yeah. it's been just, it's all part of uh, organizing us uh, To be more controllable pawns for their system. Um, And if they, you know, kill a bunch of us along the way, I think a smaller number um, will be easier to control. Um, And, you know, since most of those people with those kinds of ideas and plans and working at the top are are absolute degenerates and um, (laughs) anti-human, they don't really understand that. Oh, a population collapse means their lives and their comfort will also collapse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's it's really interesting the economics of this whole. And I only got introduced to it after diving a bit deeper into the Bitcoin community uh, last year. Mm. Um, they they introduced me to you know uh, economic cycles and how long economic cycles inform policy. Um, throughout history, including situations where people might want to create a proxy war so they can continue to print money and keep feeding themselves more of the funds. Um, It's just once you frame all of this historically, on the one hand, it's exciting because you're living through history. Uh, And then on the other hand, it's like, okay, well, is this inevitable if it just keeps happening in these cycles? Do we just have to hold out and figure out how we're gonna bunker down and survive through the through the shift? Because fundamentally, you know, there's a major economic downturn that has already occurred, but we just haven't let it manifest in the market because we locked everything down and then news that as an excuse to print more money than we've ever had in our money supply before that. So what is gonna be the economic fallout once we once the music stops, you know? And I think that explains a lot of what we're observing now.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think that you can look at who got rich off of these last few years. And um, I think that you could even look at some of the people within our government who were selling stocks right before we went into lockdown. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that there's, I think that was definitely planned and that they save the wealth for themselves, but yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, know. It sure was part
1: of it, you know, they help their friends. Yep. Yeah, get rich. They help their friends who are close to the central bankers, you know, make off with taxpayer money. And then they get a little cut for, you know, instantiating those policies that made it possible for uh it's not just Ukraine and Russia that has oligarchs, you know, North America has them too, Oh <laughs> yeah, as does the West in general.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. I think that is something that um, people here are naive to see. Mm. And you as a Canadian, um, like coming as in here as like a foreigner, like what's your kind of view of that um, sort of naivety that I, I think I just mentioned about our country versus, I don't know, like what you experienced um, home and as a Canadian.
1: Yeah. So I'm not, I wasn't born in canada i okay. was uh i was born in a former soviet country okay and i had
0: moved <gasps> whoa i feel like that's a whole that's a whole like other uh yeah interesting yeah background piece uh, that we didn't know yeah. until you know <laughs> almost yeah. the end of our uh, yeah. chat here
1: that's really uh yeah it's um it's really uh, had an impact on how I've perceived a lot of what was going on. And also a lot of my friends and family, how they perceive what's going on. Yeah, that's wow. really one of the few things that's made it a little bit more, how should I say, tolerable.
2: Mm-hmm. Being
1: so like dissonant to everyone else around me, hmm. at least at work and where I live in the U.S. But yeah, I mm-hmm. came from a former Soviet country I moved to Canada with my mother. We went as refugees, um, how long ago was this? almost 30 years ago. Wow. Um, And there's multiple layers to this naivete, because there's the naivete of uh, Westerners versus people who have come from countries that have tremendous history of Mm corruption and, you know, um, too much central authority. And then there's also the naivete of Canadians versus Americans, which is also, (laughs) it's also a thing, you know. I shared that naivete as a Canadian before I moved to the US and didn't really think much of the US and thought a lot of Canada and a lot of Canadians still share that sentiment. But after I moved here and spent quite a few years here and worked here, I started to realize that Canadians are in quite the bubble. They don't really understand a lot of, um, how should we put this? Canadians are sheltered to some extent. And I don't mean like all Canadians because there are actual Canadian Canadians, you know, mm-hmm. generational Canadians. And then there's the immigrant Canadians who um, that's another end of the spectrum. They're just happy to be out of the country that they came from and they'll mm-hmm. go along with whatever the government says because the government has given them and their family a place to live and work that mm-hmm. is peaceful and uh, secure. Wow, so, yeah. yeah, there's like there's a lot of layers uh, just in Canada. And I'm sure very similar to the layers in the U.S. because the coastal U.S. it's nowhere near what I've experienced in, what should we call it, like, Midland U.S.? I don't know. Like yeah. Mid- Midwest, Midwest, the South, whatever. Yeah. Um, the people on the coast that I speak to daily, uh, yeah, they definitely don't share the sentiments of people that I've gotten to know quite well in the Midwest. And oh, they hate I the Midwest. some from the people in the Midwest uh, that I hadn't known, both as a Canadian as some, and as someone who was, you know, a coastal uh, mm-hmm. adoptee.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, animosity towards the Midwest in the South. In the South. Especially the South. Um, Mm. So uh, I've noticed uh, my husband's a Yankee. He's from Pennsylvania. Mm. And uh, (laughs) when he moved down here, he saw Confederate flags and he he went and bought a gun because he was afraid. You know, he didn't understand what the Confederate flag really means to a a Southerner, but uh, it's not lynching. Black people, it's uh, like a pri- pride, pride mm-hmm. of being from the south, but it's not something that I would fly in my car or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it's definitely like if you're from the south and you see it, you know what it is. But if you're not from here, mm-hmm. like you are scared, you know. Outsiders mm-hmm. don't get it. Yeah, it's just something that, and and there's, I mean, you'll you talk to like I used to live in Chicago too and i have friends that were black and they were like i would i would i don't know if i, w- I want to get lost in tennessee like they're afraid that if they end up somewhere lost in tennessee that it's going to be like people in white suits coming out to get them and you know it's, blazing crosses yeah it's like they still think it's like 1865 over there and <laughs> you know it's like no we're we're just normal people um that that's another thing that you'll see about America's it's pretty split up right now. I mean it was always kind of like that, but I think the politics has really split us up even more. Yeah. You know, like there's California and the you know, the eastern uh like, like you're talking about coastal people, there's the Midwest, there's the South, mm-hmm. and then there's like the north there's the Northwest, which is a uh, another different group. Yeah. But, you know, it's not it, it it's hard to explain, but we all have our stereotypes, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. for reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the stereotypes about people from Canada or people from the coasts, I'm sure they're just as valid or invalid as the ones about people in other parts of the country. And it's very weird to see how people are so resistant to realizing how hard they're getting played over here. Um but on the flip side, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. You know, I don't need people like that to move to the areas where I'm thinking of relocating.
2: Yep. Right,
1: because <laughs> they're not. they like they're either indifferent or they're afraid or they're just. I don't know. a bit too Canadian. You know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it just seems like when I like when I was living in Chicago, it was like early two thousands. And we would we were all because Chicago was a melting pot, you know, there's people from all over there. We would hear a different accent and we would see somebody and we would just without question be like, you know, where are you from? And we'd want to know we would just be interested in that person and learning about them. I feel like nowadays people would be afraid to even do that because they'd be afraid they're being called racist or, mm. you know what I'm saying? Xenophobe. And what really you're just trying to show interest in that person. You want to get to know them. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's another thing. Like maybe that's because I'm from the South. I'm friendly. I want to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to ask you a bunch of questions mm-hmm. and that, and it, you know, some people just are very put off by that. And that's, that's that's the problem that we're having today is like nobody wants to really get to know each other anymore we don't want to take that take the time either because we're afraid to or because we've already made up our mind about that person Mm. so there's also an
1: element of it that seems like despite how how much people like to parade their how should we say I, i i don't mean this just related to people who might be gay, but people like to flaunt their pride about themselves, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the same population seems to overlap with people who are so uh, like sensitive about who they are that even asking them a question about themselves might be seen as too invasive Mm -hmm. or too much of a threat, or maybe something that's so anxiety inducing that they don't even feel comfortable having that conversation. And I see that all around me. (laughs) And It's really strange. So sometimes I just, yeah, you know, count the days, you know, until I can, uh, until I can be around some like-minded people who aren't afraid to have conversations. I like having conversations. It's it's one mm-hmm. of my favorite things to do with people I meet. Is to just have them over, have a drink, and just talk, you know. But.
2: Yeah, and I've like I've grew up with a lot of people who were like that too. And it's for me, it's enjoyable even if you don't agree. I would like to pick your brain and find out like why, where we disagree and why. And just because that's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not done that much anymore. You know, it's not even tolerated much.
1: I think that's why the, you know, certain podcasts get so popular.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I think the ones that embody that the best tend Mm -hmm. to be, they tend to get very popular. It's almost like those, I was actually talking to my brother about this recently. It's like those YouTube channels where someone will just, it's literally just uh, ambient noise and they're doing things with their hands, Mm. whether they're building, I don't know, a house or cooking some elaborate dish or, but they're Mm. somewhere rural. There's no audio, there's no script, nothing. It's just video of them doing the thing that they're trying to do. And it seems like people are so hungry for that, that they'll just watch someone do that Mm -hmm. without a story, without dialogue, without music, because, you know, like we, we watch TV shows, it's heavily produced, yes. it's scripted, yeah. there's production it, quality, yes. this doesn't require any of that, is that, like, I think that's a reflection of how starved people are for those kinds of things, and I we do they're just the starved for just honest, straightforward, good faith conversations, which is why they also get attracted to certain podcasts, yeah, you know, like Joe yeah. Rogan, or one of my more favorite Podcast recently has been you know with Lex Friedman because yeah you know he seems to approach things the way I would kind of like I'm an ape and I'm just trying to figure things out and I'm going to ask very simple questions because Mm -hmm. I don't think we understand the answers to the simple questions Mm -hmm. as thoroughly as we should so we'll just do that or you know you mentioned Jordan Peterson in the recent past some of the guests he's had he's had such interesting conversations with them just I'm assuming based on age, his intellect and ability to cut through the crap and get to the point of an issue, but also because he just pays attention to his guests and he engages them and in inc- including their material that they've produced, you know, during their time doing whatever it they're doing. And those are successful. And it's not, it's not a magic trick, <laughs> you know, yeah. people are hungry for it.
2: Yeah. And it's almost like, it kind of makes me think of like our, our government's foreign policy in general, like, we just don't want to listen to the other side um, and understand. Like I just, I, like I grew up with um, my, one of my best friends was Lebanese and her family spent time in here and in Lebanon and Paris. And so they, they were a wealth of information of just like how like the Arab mind works. And they would have a lot of complaints about like our relationship with Israel and our relationship to the middle east in general and how we talk how we try to negotiate and talk to um muslims and the arab people and you know it always baffled me like how we just we we don't take the time to really understand that culture and that would be in you know that would be one of the biggest complaints about our, our time in afghanistan too because we never took the time to understand like the Afghani mindset, like we were mm. never going to, they were never going to be a democratic republic. You know, that's just not what they were going to be. Yeah. And, you know, it's just same thing with, like, a lot of these Arab nations, they just that's not um, a priority. The, the culture just doesn't see things that way. And even now with trying to understand Russia, like, there's been multiple writings like essays and even speeches that Putin has has done and written and we all had to do is just read those essays and listen to those speeches and then we would understand his motivations for why Mm. he does what he does and our government won't do it and if you try to talk about that in public or you try to write about that on Twitter like you would be kicked off Mm.
1: you know yeah I've actually been I've made some comments on the whole Russia-Ukraine and Putin thing because I'm of the opinion that, and I consider Putin to be a Western leader. I don't consider mm. him to be an Eastern leader. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably the most competent Western leader in existence at the moment. And
0: it's a low bar. It's because but... <laughs> he's. Not, it's a low bar,
1: yeah, but. It, it, it would, I think it would surprise a lot of people to hear a statement like that, because they think yes. so poorly of Putin and of Russia, mostly because mm-hmm. there's such a heavy wall of propaganda that's anti-Russian, yep. and mm-hmm. it's nothing new. I mean, this has been going on for decades, and recently our, you know, former president, uh, he played a role guess maybe willingly or unwillingly of uh, uh what's the word inflaming the hatred against russia even more
2: because mm-hmm. of the
1: propaganda that was generated with respect to collusion with russia and then yeah. people just got more and more anti-russian and then at the end of it all you know something's going on who do we blame we'll just go back to old faithful it's mm-hmm. russia again you know yeah so there's there's a lot of that and the, and the propaganda is so strong that even a lot of people from Soviet countries including my own Soviet country family there they also have a sentiment about Putin that I don't know I don't agree with because it doesn't strike me as absurd that a country like Russia a population like Russians would have a leader like Putin Hmm. like Russians are if I may swear on this podcast Russians are fucking savages yes (laughs) and I don't mean that in a negative way Mm -hmm. they are they are people to be respected. They're, yeah, I think uh, they're very incredible like minds. They're incredible artists.
2: Yeah, they they're they also don't
1: brutal. When yeah, needed.
2: they don't. They won't bullshit you. They'll tell you exactly what they mm-hmm. think. Yeah, and I'm I'm a huge fan of like Russian writers, and I mean I'm I I'm Eastern European ancestry, so like mm-hmm. I've always been like trying to understand that. So that's definitely like that. That's one of the things I've always like been frustrated with because I was like, they're going to come off as brutal to you because we're a bunch of pussies here.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You
2: know, like we're too sensitive. And they that's another thing. Like if you go to Russia and you like walk around and you start, you know, like here in the South, we'll wave at people and we'll smile at people we don't even know. In Russia, if you did something like that, they would think that you're like mentally deficient. 'Cause that they don't <laughs> do that, you know. And they don't and yeah, most not in
1: a place like Moscow.
2: Yeah. And most of Eastern Europe is like that. So that would definitely be something that'd be hard to break. But I respect that. And, you know, I've got friends I actually have um like my kid's babysitter is Ukrainian and her mother is like she grew up under like directly under like Soviet rule. Mm. So she knows like what this this past two years was like, she knew like this was a bad sign. Mm-hmm. Um, she does. She did not hold back on like her opinion on that at all, mm-hmm. or about how Americans are. Yeah, yeah. I, I
1: had a <laughs> you know because the whole COVID thing. Even my closest family, including my mother, thought I had lost my mind in like late 2020. They were like, mm. okay, he's gone crazy. And then late 2021, a year later, they were like, oh, yeah. man. you're Oh, right. man. And I was like, look, mm-hmm. I, I don't blame you for thinking I was crazy. I thought I was crazy for a short period of time. <laughs> but then as I started to see things unfold the way others and myself had predicted, I thought, okay, well, maybe we're not all crazy. Mm-hmm. There's, there's There's some clarity in the way we're looking at things. And then yeah. the attention shifted from COVID to Ukraine, I was like, uh oh, oh, here we go again. But this time, because it's something that's like very close to the heart of a lot of Soviet people, again, another wall of propaganda. And I was like, Do you see the parallel mm-hmm. between what happened last year and what's happening this year? Like everyone, it's almost like they're in a choir, you know, on the same page. Mm singing the same hymns saying the same lines and like this doesn't strike you as weird and we have another actor turned president Mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean our prime minister is a drama school teacher turned head of the state come on you know like how do you not see the (laughs) yeah
2: oh i know and i don't know if it's like what it is because like me and maddie have talked about this too it's like we just knew like we were watching even early on you remember those videos coming out of china where people were passing out and throwing mm-hmm. up blood like we looked at that and we were like something's just doesn't seem mm, yeah no to ring true with that it's too much you know like it just seemed like it was acted out and sure enough that's what it was
1: i'm having a little bit of trouble hearing i think there, there's some something is musical in the background maybe a phone i forget i wasn't sure but yeah um i think you had said something about the videos of people in china passing out yeah and um yeah yeah the look the propaganda was strong then and it's strong now but it seems like more recently people have forgotten about ukraine and uh Mm -hmm. it's probably for the best um as long as we stop continuing to inflate the economy and make the taxpayers continue to pay for someone else's proxy war. Mm-hmm. You know, the, get, the cost of gas care has gone up 2x plus since 2020. So we're starting to feel it, you yeah.
0: know. Yeah. I do think uh, the next, like, hype factor is coming, though, because you're right, people have kind of calmed down on the uh, Ukraine hype, even though I, I think, you know, we... Our president just uh, signed over a bunch more money that we don't have, but they'll print mm-hmm. anyway. And so, like, it's still happening in the background. Just like COVID s- stuff, is still happening in the background. Like, I was at the doctor's appointment. I was at a doctor's appointment today, and I don't know if it's like this in other parts of the country or if it's just because I'm in Maryland. But all medical facilities still have still have mask requirements. Mm-hmm. I'm spoiled at my chiropractor's because he's been awake for a long time now. And so he's uh, like walking in there, it's like walking into 2019 and and it's blissful, Mm -hmm. but everywhere else it's like, I've got to put on a mask to go, you know, inquire about my health. And they're asking me to actually put myself at risk for (laughs) various complications, big, small, Mm -hmm. immediate, and longer term developing ones. and, And it infuriates me so much. That it's like, you know, people kind of say and, and our podcast kind of died off when we took our hi- hiatus um, and maybe like the rush of COVID related stuff was done, quote unquote, but it's not done. And um, no, I think
1: they're, they're trying to make it uh, have a comeback. I am um, sorry to interrupt, but I just got a message from my wife that she had missed her connecting flight. Oh, She's no, maybe at the moment. So I oh, might have to cut this short and go see what, what's going yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: absolutely. Um, real quick, plug where people can find you and um, head out and go deal with that.
1: Yeah. Um, my Twitter is remnantmd and my website is remnantmd.com. And you can support me on my newsletter or you can support me on Twitter. However, it is that people like to support one another. Um, really i'm grateful for any and all support that i get it's just great that i can share my thoughts and people engage with me that's all i really want so and thank you both maddie and jesse for having me on this is uh i hope this is the first of many we'll see how it goes i really yeah like people. yeah it's a lot of fun
0: yep well good luck with everything and um we'll stay in touch and uh, yeah. send people your way
1: definitely thank you yes thank, thank you, you.
0: <laughs> Jesse do I hear like a circus noise in the background of your house
2: <laughs> I don't know what that is like that you come about the music yeah uh yeah I don't know but I we're still recording either. yep <laughs> so um
0: well he had to leave very abruptly but I feel like man towards the end like we got something out of him that I was not expecting to like I didn't know about his um background and him coming from like ex-Soviet bloc, which mm-hmm. I feel like really has to that makes a huge difference. Somebody's view to be able to see through the bullshit. And um, you know, what a lot of people here are missing. Like he was kind of alluding to the American and the Westerners in general, um, naivete. Um, yeah, no, very interesting. And he is right, um, even though maybe some in our community or circles are like, so ready to point at just about anything. Um, and it has to be jab related. And I do think like anecdotally on like a person to person level, we can make some of those judgment calls. And I do, um, cause I feel like I see so much of it all the time right now. And, but he's totally right. Like once you kind of scale it up to the population level, it's unbelievably confounded and i do think and we've talked about like this whole time like just how bad the data is and they're doing a really shitty job at the science quote unquote like tm science they're doing an awful job and i do think that's by design and it's thus not science so really hard to ever get clear answers um and it allows for the confusion and control to continue.
2: Yes, definitely. Uh, one of the I I he has an open letter that he wrote um to what is it called um dear colleagues. Yeah. And I would suggest everybody read that. We can um, link it. Yeah, cuz I really liked the I liked how he just s- succinctly, you know, put together like how everything kind of went down but he also kind of came away with like some of his takeaways as well and I thought this was interesting and we kind of touched on it a little bit he said that doctors are not practicing medicine mm. and I have been noticing that for mm-hmm. a long time um pharmaceutical companies are very influential and before I don't know if you remember this Maddie but there was there actually was a period of time when you know, a pharmaceutical company could come in to a doctor's office and they would talk about this new medicine that's on the market. And then they would give free samples to the doctors. They would take Uh, them out to dinner and all that stuff. Right.
0: I I was too young for that, but I have seen the movie love and other drugs,
2: which I do love,
0: but that's exactly like what you see happening. And that's, um, you know, the story of when, uh, what is it? Come on, what's the boner pill
2: uh, see, now that you just said that, I don't oh I'm not gonna remember it, but I know what you're talking
0: about. Oh my God. Why is it so hard? Uh, I'm so brain. Viagra. Viagra. Yes. Okay. When Viagra kind of came on the market, which yes, was an accidental incidental finding that they were really looking for something to help with, uh, heart problems or blood pressure. Right. And then surprise boners were a bonus. Yeah. But anyway, so back to what you were saying about, you know, pharmaceutical company reps had to go to doctor's offices, leave samples, and like really had to pitch their product to Mm -hmm. the actual doctors. And doctors had to kind of like agree to even have those samples there or have it even be something that they would consider recommending for their patients.
2: Yeah. They kind of get wined and dined and been given a bunch of stuff to, you know, to, they take them out to dinner i'm not sure how far they went with some of the like you know the whining and dining but Mm -hmm. i do remember when i was now this is before i was a nurse i was a fresh out of school therapist and i was working in a psychiatric hospital and they were just starting to open up suboxone clinics and one of our doctors she jumped on the bandwagon she was going to open her own suboxone clinic and she was making a buttload of money off of it real quick what is that it is sort of uh it's what it's better than um not it's like if you're on an opiate and you're trying to get off of it you go to the suboxone clinic to they wean you off of that okay what ends up happening 99.9 percent of the time is they stop taking their opiates and they start abusing Suboxone. Got it. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of like those, uh, before there was Suboxone, there was another medication that people use. And I can't remember what it's called, but there were clinics for that as well in like the early 90s and late 80s. But um, then they moved to Suboxone because supposedly it had less side effects. And I guess it kind of does, but it's still addictive and it still is bad for you like to take long-term and it's not good to abuse. So, but I just noticed that she made a lot of money off of it. And I just thought that something was off about it. And now they don't, you know, here in Tennessee and I'm sure almost everywhere in the United States, these pain clinics are, a lot of them are shutting down and Mm. they're highly regulated because they've been, they just turned into, like, drug dealers, basically. So, I mean... Well,
0: I'd say that's, like, maybe a point of progress that that's kind of been figured out. And um, But it om- almost, to me, just means, like, the scam is elsewhere. And well, so I mean, they've, they've scapegoated this one.
2: There's drugs that we've made illegal that would help much more with pain and in much more uh, healthier ways. But we can't yeah. do that, so
0: they're probably cheaper. That's why. Mm-hmm.
2: But what he's or, saying basically. You
0: know,
2: uh, so what Remnant MD was basically saying, though, is just that they're like, these doctors are basically just kind of doing what they're told. So when you go to a doctor, now, I not all doctors are like this. But when you go to a doctor, and he gives you or she gives you an opinion about something, just get a second opinion, or just look it up, do your research. Um, you know, I had a a nurse practitioner tried to put me on Zetia uh, instead of, because I told her I wasn't going to take a, a statin drug for my mm-hmm. cholesterol. And my cholesterol is really not even that high, but I looked up Zetia and I looked up its side effects and it it's like, no, thanks. I'm not putting yeah. myself through that. So long story short, he's basically saying that the way that medicine is going these days, a lot of doctors are not they're not doing the research, they're not, they're not looking into things, they're just kind of like, Oh, this is the new drug that's on the market. Okay, well, I'll just push it because it's supposedly for these symptoms. And now, especially what we saw with COVID, it's like, oh, you have COVID, are you vaccinated? Oh, we, we can't do anything for you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You,
0: know? you mean unvaccinated? They won't help them. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And even if they're vaccinated, they don't really get helped either. Oh no. no. <laughs> and so I was
0: listening to um uh, higher side chat podcast and, um, Dr. Daniels, what the heck's her first name? I don't know. Um, but it was really good. And she, she's an expat. Like she had to leave the country because her, um, medical practice was attacked and all that. But anyway, she made a really good point that, um, over the past few years, like people are no longer being rewarded for buying into this system as they once were. Mm -hmm. so it's exactly what we see happening with people who did get the shots and keep getting the shots and they're getting sick and then they're like why is this and i don't know about you but i think those people are more frustrated about the world the way that is right now than even me who has the broad understanding of a lot that's going on like it's just interesting but i i think
2: it's really like the frogs are being boiled and i really hope it wakes them up it's just we need to have a mass awakening of critical thinking. Like we have got to, that's another thing about what, about what he was talking about with Russians. And I would think this is true of like anybody who grew up in a Soviet country. You don't, you're not going to immediately trust anybody or anything. You're going to question it. That can be bad, but it's in this, I think it's actually a good thing to, if you do it on a certain level And that's what we, that's kind of why I think some of us didn't fall for all of this crap for the past couple of years. And we know that they're going to throw more stuff at us in the future. I mean, we just know that we're going to be lied to in other ways. So just, it's just think critically and don't just accept everything you're told, especially
0: hang on (laughs) people. And especially,
2: I mean, just because they have like that MD behind their name or they're wearing that lab coat or they're they work for the CDC or the president is friends with them, that doesn't give them any credibility if they don't, if what they're saying isn't true.
0: Not backed up by rigorous research and cross-checking and even like being self-critical. Like how many of these people are self-critical these days? Like, I'm not going to read Dr. Birx's um, book, but, uh, and they got uh, Jeffrey Tucker's reading it uh, for us and giving us highlights. But like, lack of self awareness lack of um humility the ability to say i did something wrong mm-hmm. just you know there's it's a lot missing and it was missing before 2020 it's still missing it'll be missing going forward but you know the most we can do is kind of like encourage that self awareness um being self aware and introspective of ourselves and trying to be the example for the people in our lives that um are going to be looking for people that are keeping their shit together while the world falls the ass apart.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, nobody's going to care about you like you do. Nobody's going to care about your kids or your husband or your loved ones like you do. So, you know, you've got to put that into perspective. Like, the government doesn't really care about you. Joe Biden doesn't give a shit about you. Yes, He's
0: not there.
2: <laughs> he, he's not can't, there. he didn't care about himself at this point. But yeah. but the bo- bottom line is is that like it's good you're the common you're the thing that's going to be checking this information at the end of the day and weighing it against the world so you know you need to sharpen your mind and just be a- be on the alert because I mean I've just watched and all of us have watched and lost friends and you know acquaintances over over the last couple years because of all uh, just a disagreement on how to handle this or and who the president is and all that stuff so it's it's a wild world right now so it's really important to just start thinking for yourself and not just like letting people tell you how to how you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to think and
0: and who you're supposed to vote for
2: or who you're supposed to hate next Mm -hmm. you know that's a that's not up to them it's up to you. So.
0: I feel like those are some wise words to leave, uh, leave on, um, you know, where to find us. Um, Jesse's been definitely a man holding down the fort on Instagram since I needed, as part of uh, my podcast detox, I had to also detox from Instagram and social media aside from like Twitter, where I get a lot of information and, you know, find us our next awesome guests. And so, but we're on voluntary vixens or at girls who nap, girl, Girl Foxes, Foxes who, nap. who Nap, yeah. Oh my god, it's been a while. <laughs> Girl Foxes Who Nap because um you know, we're still shadow Banner. That's so obvious. Like I can see, you know, when we when I look at our stats for Voluntary Vixens versus the stats for Girl Foxes Who Nap, it's like the same exact post, but the we don't have as many followers at Girl Foxes Who Nap versus yeah. Voluntary Vixens, like our original, our flagship page. I know. But you can tell that it's still shadow banned and maybe always will be now um because like you can see such a stark difference as to like which gets more activity but anyway we're still reachable there um reachable on twitter uh if i haven't announced it on twitter yet we're at vixens voluntary but also now we've acquired at voluntary vixens it became available somehow i don't know who had it before but anyway it's ours it's us and yeah um will be on sporadically maybe a few more times this summer, but uh, we're still insanely busy in our own lives yeah. and we've got more of that to come, but we want to make sure, you know, we stay connected with you. And when we do meet up, we're bringing on somebody interesting and it's somebody um, either new old or just uh, relevant for things that we think are coming. Yep. All right. Well, Vixies, Jesse, everybody catch you next time but in the meantime keep it sane keep it peaceful and keep it voluntary